Hey, well, it's good, good to be here and continuing this series, but I, I'd be amiss if, uh, if I didn't get to share just a proud dad moment. If you're from Stoughton um, and you received uh, the Stoughton newspaper um, on July 8th, you may have noticed that Hudson was on the cover of the Stoughton newspaper. And so someone dropped this off for us this morning. There he is. He entered the pizza eating contest, if I, if I shared that with you. And, and he had a strategic uh, way of trying to consume all those pizzas. He just stacked them one on top of the other and was trying to um, gorge himself. And then when he didn't win, he was very shocked. He's like, Dad, what happened? How did I not win? Like, well, there were like 14-year-olds competing in this pizza eating contest, buddy, but you had a good try. It was a good effort. Uh, hey, if, if, you, uh, if you're new with us, I think you've picked a great time to come and check out uh, Hillcrest. We're currently going through this series together, We Believe where we want to awaken uh, the affections of our heart. We feel like there's this gap that exists between what we believe about who God is and, and what we experience as real. And if you look around, um, sure feels like there is, a, uh, <laughs> there, there is a, a decent amount of animosity and, um, and hostility and frustration in our world around us. And so um, this morning, feels like we get to peek into that a little bit this morning. We, we've talked about who God is and, and how we experience him through his word. We talked about the image of God that we uh, have and we're shaped by. And this morning we're talking about the sin we rationalize. Uh, and so as a community, we're taking our cues from Jesus. <laughs> Shocking, I know. And, uh, and we're just trying to ask the question, what are we formed by? Uh, how we spend our time, our resources, and our talent. Uh, where we allocate our time. How we spend our money and how we use our gifts says a lot about who we are and what we believe. And, and so, and I love it, Megan. You're a rock star, Megan. Every time, Megan, Megan is, <laughs> we love, we love babies, right? This is a beautiful thing, a beautiful thing of life. I say it every time. Some of you might get tired of hearing me talk about how much I love babies and hearing their voice, but it, it says something, right? When you hear a baby cry, what's it say? Man, life. Life And so I can, I'm happy to keep powering through. You guys might get distracted. We just keep going. But we're, we're asking this question. What are you formed by? And so today we're just asking the question about sin. And, uh, and so it made me think of the Lincoln Memorial. I mean, can you guys see the direct correlation? So... So I went, to, uh, I went to the Lincoln Memorial with my father-in-law. We went to this conference a few years ago. And... Uh, and if you've never been, right, they, they want to keep these monuments looking clean so that tourists like us go and take pictures. And what they began to find was there was a lot of bird poop accumulating on these monuments. And they were noticing that the statue, these monuments started to deteriorate. The National Park Service began to notice this. And so they were struck by, well, what do we do about that? And so they asked, well, why, why is the monument to, to diminishing what, what's happening. And they said, well, it's these high-powered cleaning supplies that we use. And so they're struck by a, a choice. They could just let it continue to deteriorate, or they could not make it look pretty for tourists to come. But then they did one more question. They said, well, well why are these birds pooping on these statues and these monuments? Well, that's because there's a lot of spiders that are here by these monuments. So then they asked the question, well, why, why are there a bunch of spiders by these monuments? 
And, well, they, the, the maintenance crew said, well, that's because there's a lot of gnats flying around these statues, right? These monuments. Well, then they asked another question. They said, well, why are there a bunch of gnats flying around these monuments? Well, that's because um, when you turn on the lights, it attracts the gnats at a certain time of the night. And so the National Park Service was now struck with, well, do we turn on the lights later to not have the gnats come so the spiders don't come so the birds don't poop on the monument so we don't have to clean them as often, right? Like, what, what do we do? And ultimately, it was a question of getting to the root of the issue. We are going to wrestle with this morning when we look at the animosity and the hostility going in our world. Sometimes it feels like there's behavior issues we see on the surface. We want to press in to see there's actually something much more deeper going on and that also is pervasive in our lives. So uh, we're going to read Genesis chapter 3, an origin story (laughs) for, for where this thing called sin comes from. So read with me in chapter 3, and we're going all the way to 24. Now the serpent was more craftier than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of any fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband." stinking women, right? Just, oh man. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among God and the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave. Man, always throwing her under the bus. She gave me the fruit and I ate. And the woman who you gave. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is it that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. And on your belly you shall go in the dust. You shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and he and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree in which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called to his wife, the man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living, and the Lord God made for Adam for his, and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat it and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man 
And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So we're asking this question, what are we being formed by? And we want to return to the very beginning in Genesis 3 to, to understand more fully of what we experience. And so when you hear this, we believe that God created Adam and Eve in his image, but they sinned when tempted by Satan. In union with Adam, human beings are sinners by nature and by choice, alienated from God and under, the, under his wrath. Only through God's saving work in Jesus Christ can we be rescued and reconciled and renewed. That may sound familiar. You may be hearing these words and saying, David, I know this stuff. I understand. I've heard these ideas before. These aren't new to me. I'd press you in two ways. One, if that's true, then with whom are you sharing these ideas with? If they're not new, then with whom are you sharing them? And two, something we're pressing into, though we understand these ideas in our mind, at least in my life, there seems to be this gap that exists between what I understand in my head and what I experience is real. And we want to try and close that gap to more fully understand these truths that we are being shaped by. So pray with me as we dig in to, uh, to the text this morning. Uh, God, you're so good. We always want to pause every message as we enter in, uh, just to be reminded that you are present, that we are spiritual beings, and we want to be increasingly aware of your presence as we engage your word. So reveal yourself as we press into the sin we rationalize. Always for your glory, we pray. Amen. Amen. So the three ideas we're going to try and tackle this morning, that we have a need there's this deep need that exists in our life and that through sin, both by nature and choice, there are consequences that accompany that. And I was tempted to leave it there and yet I can't. And so there's this sense of urgency that we live because we believe that through Christ all can be renewed. So as we start, here's where we want to start. Just to make sure we're on the same page, we want to talk about the faith process that we experience some ideas in our head that ideally then begin to impact our heart and then get expressed in our behavior. Here's the challenge. Sometimes it feels like we disconnect the heart from the process, whether apathy settles in, this disdain, whatever it is, this heart just gets disconnected. And so it feels like on one side of that faith journey, if we've been justified, if we've been saved and there's this ongoing process of work transforming my heart on one side of it, when I'm just thinking about the ideas, there's this cheap grace where I prayed a prayer at five and I just go and live like hell, right? I mean, it doesn't matter how I live. I prayed a prayer. I checked the box. I'm good for eternity, right? On one side, it's cheap grace. And then on the other side, of this journey of faith, we recognize some weight of what we've been saved from. So what do we do? We start earning our way into God's good graces. And there's this self-righteousness that could be, become apparent as we look around and we see the brokenness that exists all around us. And it could lead us to take a posture of self-righteousness. So I was talking to a guy this week named Dave Goplin. So Dave, could you come on up? And, and here's the danger of grabbing coffee with me at any point. There's always a chance you might say something and we're going to end up here talking on a Sunday morning. So that might cause you to say, man, I'd love to grab coffee or it might cause you to run away. Either way, so Dave and I were grabbing coffee this week 
and, uh, and by happenstance began sharing a little bit about this. So could you just introduce yourself briefly, Dave, and then uh, share a little bit about what this was doing in your heart this week? Okay, so my name is David Goplin. I'm relatively new here. I started coming here because I needed a church that was open, that I could go worship on Sunday. So I knew a, a person that came here, so I started coming here. And uh, it's been a blessing. Um, so um, I'm sharing today not because I'm a, gold, a Goldland poster Christian. Uh, I'm sharing because David asked me to share. Uh, I'm a wretched sinner, just like you, saved by grace. Uh, I accepted Christ early in my life. He's my Savior. I've been a church goer. Um, for the most part of my life, but, you know, I've had my ups and downs in my uh, Christian life. Myself, personally, I, I love knowing God. Um, I love discussing God. I like hearing from God. I like seeing from God. Um, I also have a passion for talking with others about Him. <clears throat> I have a holy desire. And so this was kind of, we were doing this study thing, and this discussion came up, and so... Dave said, I'd like you to share what you said, and he told me this two days ago, and I'm like, I was kind of a blabbermouth. I don't remember what I said. So, <clears throat> Okay, so uh, he, he told me I have three minutes uh, to cover this. It's impossible, but I'll, I'll try my best. Okay. <laughs> Two to three minutes. That was, that's the goal. Yeah, go. That's the goal. So uh, when did this journey of holy desire start for me? Well, it started when I, I, I needed a regeneration of my mind, what I thought, how I thought, uh, my viewpoints of, of God uh, rather than who he actually was. So it's the thought. It was the thinking. So my questions, uh, questions were, uh, do you ever think about what you think about? The things you dwell over through the course of the day. Uh, do you analyze why you are consumed with those thoughts? Uh, do you find that many of those thoughts really don't help you out much? Sometimes they even escalate matters. Do you ever even ask yourself any of these types of questions? I think more often than not, we don't. Um, but you need to answer these questions. It's, it's very important. Uh, so I came to uh, the prayer of David uh, in Psalms. Search me, O God and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. I had plenty of those. See if there is an offensive way in me. I had plenty of those. And lead me in the way of everlasting. That's holy desire. I'm desiring God to show me who I am. I used to think that most of the time I was pretty cool, uh, but then I, you know, I found out I wasn't. Um, uh, but I didn't know better. Uh, I also went through, which was even worse, I went through parts of my life, uh, and still do once in a while, where Satan starts to attack me. He, he starts to tell me, uh, you know, accusing me, you know, you sinner, you, you did this and you did that, and then he tries to hold me up before God and say, you know, see, you call yourself, a, this guy, a Christian, and, and he would use people to do that to me. And, uh, but the, see, the thing is, I couldn't see myself. I needed God to show me, and that's where that prayer comes in. So uh, the other thing is I had to realize is that I'm a spiritual being. God said he, he made man in, the ima in his image, three parts, 
Father, Son, and Spirit. We are made in his image. You also are three parts, body, soul, and spirit. So, I really got to travel fast here. Two of those three parts are unseen, body, soul, and spirit. You got the spirit and soul. And um, two outnumber the one, the body. But yet, I found myself spending most of my focus on the body. Isn't that what the world teaches us and shows us? But is that what God told you to focus on? Your spirit, how do you feed it? What or which spirit speaks to you? There's more than one spirit, I can tell you that. Bible's, God's word says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places, casting down imagination and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ that's holy desire. There was a time in my life where I realized that I had a need, a need much greater than the physical and religious life I obtained and was living. This life, my life, my way of life needed more. That was a holy desire. My spirit needed to come alive. It was a desert, and it needed an awakening. That was holy desire. God's word says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Even unto this present hour, we both hunger and thirst and are naked and are tossed about and have no certain dwelling place. Hmm. Look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. We who with unveiled faces with, uh, that contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image. It's a spiritual thing. You and I have spiritual needs all the time. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm in front of the world every day. I'm battled and beaten by the world every day. Um, so this is a spiritual desire in me to follow God, uh, to be mm. uh, freshened and anew and the right focus because I am fooled every day by the world and by Satan and, and outside people. And so I guess in a nutshell what I'm saying is, you know, God's word, you, you let the Spirit speak to you. I can tell you that the bulk of my holy desire does not come from this worship. It comes from a daily routine of worship uh, and letting the Spirit speaking to me. And then in turn, we as a body speak to one another and, and be refreshed by, by Dave here every Sunday and the worship team. Hmm. Thanks, Dave. What I hope you heard right? This ongoing spiritual transformation that's taking place, it starts with this deep recognition of need, that we all have sin when tempted by Satan, by nature and by choice. This sweet little girl, just a broken sinner right from the moment. We're not born good. 
We're not born good. I mean, she's over here just eating her sweet potato mush, right? But man, in need of a savior. There is this deep need that exists in our life and you heard Dave process it a little bit with us. Here's how we see it recorded in Genesis, verse six. Here's where it starts, right? So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and then it was the light to the eyes and that the tree was good, was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruits and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Often when it feels like we define sin, what we see it as missing the mark or, or, or doing something wrong or, or directly disobeying God. But I hope we see as we, as we wrestle with this, there's significantly more going on that it's never primarily about the fruit, that it's never primarily about the behavior. Rather, there's actually something deeper going on that it's not trusting that God has our best in mind. That there's something much deeper, much more profound that happened in Genesis 6 or Genesis 3 that continues on throughout humanity. And it's not trusting that God has our best in mind. That often we see the action, the sinful behavior on the top. But there's a distrust, this sin actually behind the behavior. That when I get jealous, it's not primarily about don't be jealous. Right? There's actually something much more profound going on there that there's a provision of needs that I'm longing for that's not being taken care of. And it's, it's providing this jealousy on the surface. Right? It, you know, we have a culture of people that are in debt up to their eyeballs and, and we're kind of an obese culture. You guys, you guys look around and see that? It's not because we don't know that spending wisely and eating healthy is not just on our radar, Right? but there's something deeper going on. No one sins out of duty, right? We don't sin because we have to, like someone's twisting my arm. But behind the sin, we actually think whatever it is is gonna provide more significance or happiness. That rather than this view of living in light of who God is, there's actually a trust that we put in ourselves above what God intended this life to look like. And it manifests itself in the sinful behavior. How might it get manifest in your life? In a myriad of ways. We have a deep need that is not just about solving the behaviors, but there's actually this deep-seated need at the core of our being that is contrary to God. And for that life, there's actually consequences. There's actually there's actually a consequence to living both by nature and by choice contrary to the way God designed life to work. Because I think, I mean, I look at my life and I go, I'm a pretty good dude, right? And I'm, a, I'm an old steel, tell the truth most of the time. Right? I'm a pretty good dude. And yet there's this deep brokenness that exists. Here's how we see it in Genesis, Right? So we experience consequences rooted in that chapter three. We experience consequences. We all have earned God's wrath. So here's what he says all the way back in Genesis three. There's a brokenness that is pervasive in our life. And it manifests itself with shame, with guilt, with fear, and this sense of unwillingness to take responsibility. So back to Genesis three. Now the serpent was more crafty. And they took this fruit and ate it, and the eyes of both of them were opened. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. And Adam turns to, turns to God and says, the woman whom you gave me. 
Can you, can you envision anything more arrogant than to turn to the God of the universe and blame him and play the victim for what he's done in your life? The woman whom you gave me, she gave me the fruit of the tree. And the serpent, Eve says, deceived me. There's this brokenness that exists and it manifests itself in fear, shame, guilt. And we see that in Genesis 3. And then we see how it severs relationship. This brokenness that exists severs relationship. And we see it in two ways in Genesis 3. In the blessing of childbearing and the blessing of relationship. There is pain in both of those. Here's what Moses tells us in Genesis 3. Because you have done this, da 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 Verse 16, to the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. I mean, when, when Eden was born, man, I, Casey got a C-section, I, so it, maybe it wasn't quite the same. Man, it, was, it looked painful. It looked, I was over there snapping selfies in the OR room, but Casey looked like she was in deep pain until they put some of those meds in her. And even then, I mean, this was intense. This was intense. What is that a reminder of? A reminder of the brokenness of the fall and the brokenness of sin of not how God intended this life to work. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. There's this frustration and animosity that exists between relationships. Maybe you even had that driving over to church this morning, right? And there's this brokenness that exists in relationships, not the way God intended this life to work. There is this brokenness that exists in our relationships. And then he details with Adam a brokenness in our relationship with God. Here's what he says. Because you have done this, da, 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 verse 18, in pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life, thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat, and to dust you will return. There's an end to this life physically. And then 23, therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. There is this brokenness that exists. The blessing of God's provision was broken. And the futility of weeds, the blessing of his provision and the way we were tending the garden. I mean, every time I go and pull out some weeds in my backyard, I'm reminded this is not how it's supposed to be. These stinging dandelions growing up all over the place, just ruining my wonderful garden, right? You guys don't buy that for a second. There's a lot of weeds. There's no garden. And the blessing of life is broken, right? This is not how God intended. This sin, this deep need we have to be reconciled with God has consequences unless repaired because that way was blocked. That beautiful reconciliation was blocked and there's gonna be a need for another reconciling action. And so here's where it led me. As, I, as I'm wrestling through Genesis 3, Dave, do you mind getting that window in that mirror? Right there, please. Because what often feels like the case, thank you so much, seamless transitions we have around here. Thanks, Dave. And Jack said I'm supposed to turn this one way or the other. Jack, is that right? Like this, maybe? How's that? All right. So last time we were blinding the people that are tuning in online. And maybe some of you possibly. 
Uh, so we read Genesis 3, and it leads me to this, between a mirror and a window. Because what I often do is, is I can see through this window of my life all the other people around me. If you could see this line as a point of conversion, after coming to faith, we begin this window living where I'm aware of the problems of others and I begin cultivating this culture of criticism where, where, where we like to be in authority, not under authority. And I begin making myself the standard. That there are good people and there are bad people and I'm one of the good people. And anyone who doesn't quite think like me or act like me, I mean, don't you understand just how good of a person I am? And I begin elevating myself that somehow I've been enlightened to understand just how good I am and how broken everybody else is. And I start to blame shift and qualify myself as the victim. I mean, it couldn't have been something I did, so it must have been your fault for the problems we're having. And I begin to attack character and, and demonstrate, you know, I'm just not as bad as them, as those other people. I mean, you, you look around our culture, right? Everything, everything, everything is about judging, right? I mean, just any social media, what do you do? If you like something, you just give it a thumbs up. If you don't like it, you give it a thumbs down. Based upon my determination. I mean, I was looking, I, I went to Fantastic Sam's the other day. I was looking through the reviews on Yelp. There's a lady that was just getting blasted in the reviews. Well, some of them, maybe she's not the nicest lady in the world, but just getting blasted in these reviews. We, we start looking through the window of our lens and making ourselves the standard for how everyone else ought to operate. And as we go through this life, think it'll stand? No. no? What you, <laughs> there was zero confidence in my ability. There, like, zero. there wasn't even like one person like, well, maybe, David. Is, I thought this was Midwest nice out here. I thought, man, <laughs> zero. We start going through this life. And that red X is intended to communicate we understand we've been saved and there's nothing we did and we begin moving down this journey of life. And, and I find myself over there on D, right? And, and I look back at the person at C and I go, man, you know, I'm just a little bit better than them. They haven't quite figured out what I got figured out, right? And then I look at the person at E or F and I start beating myself up and I go, ah, I'm just not as good as them. I, I, I don't live quite like they do, and I start beating myself up on this journey. Instead, what it often feels like is when I'm looking back at that person at sea, I mean, there's people protesting, right? There's, you, you feel it? There's some animosity and frustration in our culture right now. You got people protesting ideas. I, I, never, I, I haven't quite seen someone protest the brokenness in their own life, right? I haven't seen that sign, right? I often see the window looking where I see all the brokenness that exists all around me. I've yet to see the sign that protests all the brokenness that exists within us. What we instead start moving towards on this journey 
is actually one where we just see every step as this step of grace. That there's this deep need we have in our life and there's consequences for our actions. And yet as I begin evaluating the circumstances around me, instead of looking through the window, I begin looking into the mirror and just seeing every step as another moment to see just the brokenness that exists within me. I don't know which side you're coming from, if it's, the, if, if it's more of the, the, the genuine challenges you're confronted with, or if it's that self-righteousness that starts to creep in as we try to strive towards this genuine faith. But every step becomes a step of grace, not this linear path that we love so much, but rather every step is just another recognition of just how much we've been saved from and another step of just how broken we really are. I mean, come on, but, but I'm a good dude, right? I mean, I, I, I think I'm, I'm fairly, just a greater recognition of what we've been saved from. But I don't have this great testimony. Do you recognize just how much we've been saved from and just how broken we really are. That sin isn't just these behaviors we do, but a deep distrust of the God of the universe and his intended plan for our life. And every step, no longer this linear path, but just this spiral of increasing movement of understanding this whole process is just more grace. And so we have a need and we experience consequences. There's brokenness that exists now, and we long for something else. And I couldn't leave us there. I thought about it. Because I don't know about you, I, I've been feeling this more. Sometimes we come to Sunday mornings and we want our hug, right? You just want to get slapped on the butt, get encouraged, get our hug, and then I go home and, and I'll see you next week, right? And I'm just feeling this greater lament. This is kind of off topic a little bit. Is this okay, Jerry? Just feeling this greater lament and, and how we do how we do services, and, and I'm feeling greater lament for the circumstances in our culture. And so I thought about just leaving us there. Do we just sit in that pain and hurt and brokenness? But I couldn't do it. So we're going to go to, through Christ, all is renewed. And so we live with this urgency that Christ renews all things. And two verses that struck me this week, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. And Paul says to Timothy, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am foremost. And so we trust that a life enjoying God is the most attractive, that this is actually God's marketing strategy. And if you look around, there's need that exists all around us. People looking for need. There's hurt. Just ask a few questions beneath the surface. If you're able to get that far into a conversation, there is hurt and people looking for solutions. We then get to tell a different story with our lives. Ideally, having experienced grace, we get to tell a different story with our lives. And then we trust God and we're not afraid. What might that manifest itself as? We're not afraid of people who might think differently than the biblical worldview. And, and not afraid of having the perfectly packaged answer to give someone. But being willing to hear some of that hurt and brokenness, 
and not afraid of appearing weak in how those conversations might go, and not afraid of encountering someone who has a better worldview. I love hearing how other people live their lives. Not being afraid that I'm somehow going to be convinced there's someone better than Jesus. Because <laughs> every other solution feels like, feels like just looking through the window, telling us just how broken we are and how much better they are. Christianity seems to constantly bring us to say, do you just understand the depth and the magnitude of what we've been saved from? I'm not afraid of encountering another worldview that might be perceived as better. And I hope we at Hillcrest aren't afraid of being seen with sinners. Instead, we get to actively engage others, believing that through Christ, all can be renewed. And so in the next few weeks, we're going to talk about more of who Jesus is. So here's some takeaways this week. You've made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. We're going to talk about this the next few weeks, about this rest, that we have a need. That sweet little Eden that's eating her sweet mashed potatoes and mush, she's got a deep need. And it's restless until it finds its rest in you. Uh, this just struck me again. I don't know why it strikes me here at this particular slide. Did you guys go to the fireworks last night? Yep. Oh, man. Does it, did anyone know what time dusk was before last night? If anyone cares, dusk is at 9.30 at night, and they don't play music. Jeff, we got to figure this out. They don't play music for the fireworks? So what I did was I just put on some Neil Diamond coming to America, and I listened to it in my ear while, while the fireworks were shooting off for 20 minutes. You've made us for yourself, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. For the next two weeks, we want to pursue a greater understanding of how this need has been met in Jesus and so, where are you wrestling with sin? Not the behaviors, but using the behaviors to get a greater sense of where that distrust might be anchored in. Because there's birds pooping on the thing that lead to the spiders, that lead to the, to the gnats that reveal the lights. There was a deeper problem going on. There might be behaviors in your life where are you actually believing you're gonna find more joy rather than in how God intended life to be lived. And I hope a greater recognition this week, we need God's help. That apart from him, I am in great need, and we are broken. Relationships are hard, and there's an active enemy. And so how will you seek God's help this week? Here's one suggestion. Here's how it makes sense to me. We reflect on our early memories of the realization of our need. When I'm tempted to look through the window and consider myself better, I'm reminded of some of those early memories. There was a two-year period in college where I was just confronted by the challenges and limitations of my life. Reflect on those early memories. And then, if all of this sounds familiar and you're like, David, I've heard all this before. Cody's like, I had this memorized when I walked in. I could have quoted the whole thing to you. Here's the encouragement. Out of our joy in Jesus, we live out generous relationships with those who have yet to treasure Jesus with the hope that they will choose to treasure him. Because why? 
because you took an intentional interest in their life to show them there is a deep need that exists outside of themselves. There's a, there's a need giver that solves that need that they cannot solve themselves. So if all of this is familiar and that gap between your mind and your heart is perfectly where you want it to be, I would say just press into a conversation this week that you might have with someone for whom that would be brand new information. Pray with me. God, you are so good. Thank you for who you are, what you're doing in our life, our passion to understand you a little bit more fully. When we're tempted to look through that window and, and develop a, a culture of criticism, help us, remind us of the need we have and, and our brokenness apart from you. Meet us there, don't leave us there, and fill us more with your spirit as we're confronted by our own limitations this week. And help us fill us with your spirit and your joy. Always for your glory we pray. Amen.